Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Today is Palm Sunday, amen, the beginning of Holy Week. And if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up to John 12 or to take out your phone. If your phone's out, I'm encouraging that you're, I'm uh, assuming that you get your Bible app open. Or even if you go into our Church Center app, there's a, in the very bottom in the middle, it says Sunday morning. Uh, notes are there, scriptures are there, stuff is there. And uh, that's a great place to be there. But I encourage you just, just to follow along. I know some, some of you have iPads and you're making notes and you're, you're splitting the screen. You know how to do all that cool stuff. Engage with it. We're about to study the word of the God that will change our lives, that will impact you, that will give you strength for today, hope for tomorrow, if you will apply it. So Lord, we pray for as we now dive into this message from you, this word from you, Father, may you ignite it, may you anoint it. Lord, let it be your words. God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight because that's the only thing that's going to change our lives is your word. So, Father, speak through me today. And, Father, I pray that all of us, God, in the springtime, we're we're tilling our soil and we're getting things ready. Let the soil of our heart be receptive to your word today because we want to be changed and we want to produce fruit, fruit for you, eternal fruit. And we give you thanks for it. So, Lord, use it, anoint it in your name. And everyone said together. Amen, amen. Well, happy Palm Sunday. This is the beginning of Holy Week. And even though we read it at the beginning, I want to read it again to all of you. This is John 12. It's from the New Living Translation, a little bit different translation than what we opened the service with. But this is the scripture as we head into Holy Week, Palm Sunday. John 12, starting in verse 12, it says, The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. This is pre-social media, but word scatters through. It says, a large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God, which is Hosanna, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at that time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him up from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. But then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everybody has gone after him. So this is Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday, and a little bit of background that will help us to to walk through because what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be kind of walking through Holy Week to Good Friday, and the next week we're going to be celebrating Easter. But Palm Sunday today, this marks the beginning of Holy Week, right, where Jesus, he's coming from Bethany, and as we were just reminded, this is where he raised, he raised, he raised, that's my, I was going to say that's my Canadian, but they don't pronounce it that way in Canada either, so I can't blame my cultural background there, okay? This is me. This is where he raised Lazarus from the, can you imagine? He raised Lazarus from the dead. This was someone that they knew. 
And so now Jesus, along with his disciples, they're heading to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Now, Passover, this is one of three what are known as the, these pilgrimage uh, festivals where, where, where Jewish people would, from all over, gather together in Jerusalem for this Jewish holiday. And it, it was one of the most celebrated times because it was a time when they gathered together to eat, to be together, and to remember how they were rescued from slavery way back in Egypt. It's a time of giving thanks to God. So, so now as Jesus, he's entering Jerusalem, he's entering it at a time when it is just filled with people from all over to celebrate uh, them being setting free. And his arrival, Jesus' arrival, this is pivotal for the nation of Israel. Because when he arrives, he's fulfilling this prophecy that was referenced in John 12 from the prophet Zechariah by riding in on a donkey. In Zechariah 9.9, the prophet prophesied, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Now this, you know, a donkey may not be very important to all of us, but in that day, in that prophecy, for the people that, that, that they grew up with this from the time that they were kids, they were taught about this. The, the cult was identified as in the Old Testament as this was the mount of the Messiah. This was what, how the Messiah would enter, which pointed to Jesus being the king that was prophesied about, that they'd heard about. And the fact that it was this unbroken beast of burden, as, as commentaries will often talk about it, it was regarded as sacred, which made it appropriate for a king uh, since according to the mission that no one else may ride a king's horse. So Jesus was the only one to have ridden this. And because of all this, because of all the miracles, because of all the things that were taking him arriving from Bethany where he had, just raised, where he had previously raised Lazarus from the dead, the people of Israel, they recognized Jesus as a king. And so what do they do? They start waving these palm branches. And I remember as a kid growing up in northeastern Newfoundland, um, to my knowledge, there are no native palm trees in Newfoundland, Canada. And so what we would do as kids in Sunday school, we would make those cardboard palm branches. Anybody ever do that? And all the kids, we'd wave them, you know, and, and break them. And I don't mind, I went through, I don't know how many of those things. I was just waving them around. And, you know, anytime they said, kids, you can get up in church and jump around, guess who was in front of that line? And I was just jumping and waving around, and we would go through because there was something significant. See, the, the palm branch, this is the symbol of the Jewish nation. And it even, it's when, uh, when they were doing this, it was on par with them raising their flag and treating Jesus now as king, the promised Messiah. That's why they shouted, Hosanna, praise God. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king. They've been talking about this for centuries. And now on this day, on Passover, on Palm Sunday, here comes Jesus. And you know, as I was reading this, as we've been walking through this whole cross-shaped life ser uh, series, you know, I, my initial thought was, you know, how exciting this must have been for the disciples. Because the disciples were so confused by everything that was going on. Because Jesus, he didn't act the way that they thought he would. How many, how many would, would, would confess and say, Jesus doesn't always act the way that I, I, I thought he would or hope he would or whatever? How many are like, Dwayne doesn't operate the way I think I thought he would hope he would at times, right? So they were often confused. And you, you see this verse oftentimes when Jesus, he's walking with them, he's doing all these things, but they're very confused. But now he's like, Jesus, yes, you are king. You are acting the way that you're supposed to. We are raising you. They're like, finally, you're doing and acting the way that we thought. I mean, this is the king that they were expecting in their minds. 
this is how the king would behave. And the people see it, they're waving palm branches, it's Passover, it's a celebration. Finally, finally we've arrived here. He's our king, he heals us. He raises us from the dead. He provides, he does all these things. What a great king. But this is just day one of what later would be referenced as Passion Week, Holy Week. Because we go from Palm Sunday and all the celebration to continue because Passion Week will continue. And as in everything else, we begin by recognizing him as king. But King Jesus, he's out to teach us how to follow him. Everything that Jesus did was to transform us and to teach us how to follow him because the life to the full that Jesus talked about in John 10.10 is not just about acknowledging him. You know, I was listening to this teacher this past week and they were talking about the the difference between knowledge of God, knowing about God, and actually knowing God. See, we can know about God. There, there are people that can go through the Bible and, they've, and they, they, they'll, they'll, they'll quote, memorize scriptures and they'll pull all the things out and they'll have a Bible on their arm all the way backsliding and walking away from God. See, knowledge is good. We need to know the word. We need to hide it in our hearts. But the word of God says that we hide it in our hearts so that we might not sin, we might not get off track with him. Because there's knowledge of God, but knowing God comes through obedience. See, knowledge will... Teach us about God. Obedience, that's where we know God. Because that's where we align our lives with him. That's where the cost comes. That's the difference in all of this. And Jesus now, walking through Holy Week, this is what he's doing. He's teaching us. He's teaching his disciples. He's teaching people everywhere how to follow him. Because it's in the following that we get lost. How many of you ever got lost following somebody? You know, I had kids that would deliberately try to lose me, that they would hide in the clothing racks. Any parents ever do that? Totally freaked you out. Man, I almost shut down Fred Meyer one time because Riley was hiding in a clothing rack when he was a kid. We get lost in the following. So Jesus, sticking this final week, he's laying it out as a model. We begin with Palm Sunday. He recognizes him. But what, what comes after Sunday? Monday. Did you know that? After Sunday, we hit Monday. On Monday, after being hailed as King Jesus, what does Jesus do? He clears the temple. He goes in and makes a fuss. He's clearing the temple because they are mistreating the house of God. What does Jesus do? The first thing he does, he starts with family. He goes to the family. He goes to the temple as was his practice. Because what we do in gathering together is so important. Right? That's why we always start with family, don't we? We start with family. We come together and we go... We clean out things that need to be cleaned out. So that's what he did. On Monday, he also, he cursed a fig tree. He looked at the fig tree that was, it may have looked beautiful, but it wasn't producing fruit, so he cursed it. And in that, Monday, he starts with a family, cleaning out the house of God. And then he teaches them, you were made to produce fruit. And then we come to Tuesday. On Tuesday, Jesus, he confronts the leaders that were not recognizing him as the son of God. And he's teaching us the significance, the importance of the deity of Christ. He is God. He is the son of God. And when they fail to recognize him, he confronts them for that. Then we come to Wednesday. Wednesday is often referred to as into the darkness when we look through Holy Week. 
See, this is when Jesus, he's now, he's back in Bethany, and he's at the house of Simon the leper. And if you remember, this is when, when Mary anoints his head and anoints his feet with this costly perfume that cost one year's wage at that time. And she's breaking it out, and she's weeping, and she's worshiping Jesus. But Judas, was Judas happy? I don't think Judas was ever happy. <laughs> he was, Judas, he's mad. He's like, this could have been given to the poor. Not his issue as we find out later. But Judas is angry in that moment. And he's angry and he's mad because Jesus is not fitting into his agenda that we'll talk about here a little bit later. So what is happening here? In all of these things, Jesus, he's preparing them. He's discipling them. You know, and just like any good coach, any good coach, they're not going to watch you do the wrong thing time and time and time again without coming in and going, before you shoot that basket, you've got to pull the elbow in. You've got to go straight up to Wayne. You've got to, you've got to plant your feet. I'm talking about basketball analogies. I don't just love hockey, you know. And and, but, you know, all these things. I was, I was actually better at basketball than hockey, you know. Um, don't take, I'm not going to take it down that hole, hole there. But any good coach, every good coach I've had, every good piano teacher, they had no problem telling me when I was doing something wrong. My professor in college, I thought she loved telling me the things I was doing wrong. <laughs> Thank God she did. Thank God she did. Because her goal was what? To help me fulfill the goal that I had. All these coaches, this is what Jesus is doing in love. He's strengthening them. He's teaching them. He's showing them. He's discipling them. He's getting them ready because he knows that, guys, you're about to head into one of the most difficult weeks of your life. You think there have been challenges in the past. There's something getting ready to happen. I've told you about it. You don't understand it. And I'm getting you ready. One of the most transformative weekends if they will do what he's called them to do. If they will do, if all of us will do what he's called us to do. And it brings us right back to the scripture of our whole series back in Mark 8. Remember this? When Jesus teaching his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your way, which is what? Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. See, everything comes down to this. This is the cross-shaped life that we've been talking about and the cross-shaped life, it requires death. It's this dying to ourselves. Now, why does Jesus, why is he always reminding his disciples about the need for dying to ourselves? Have you ever had somebody that they're always reminding you of the same thing over and over and over again? Here's a hint. If they're reminding you of it over and over again, then you're probably failing to do it over and over again. <laughs> right? If you would do it, if you would do it, Dwayne, He's reminding them because they need to know. Because here's the thing, Jesus, Jesus didn't come. Jesus didn't give his life. Jesus didn't do all these things just to improve our lives. Jesus did all of these things to transform our lives. There's a difference in improving and transforming. See, we want Jesus to come in, just do a little bit of remodeling. I like what I'm doing. I like the friends I have. I like some of these things going on. But I, I got a few problems over in, in these areas. Can you, just, can you improve these areas? Jesus is not your HGTV remodeler, okay? Jesus is not your DIY come in and just take out some of the rot and put a new board in. Jesus is out to transform you because he's bringing you back to your original design. And to do that, we need to be transformed, 
See, the people that day, they were up for improvements. Remove Rome. Take away the tyranny. Restore our good name as the nation of Israel. Put us at the top of the pile again. This seems big to us. And this is something that we often work hard to do, but we feel like we're failing, so we want God's help. Here's all the things I want to do, God. Just do all this. I, I, I can't do it, but I know you can, so just do this. But when we operate from our agenda, when we start with our agenda, it is so short of what God has. See, God has so much more for us. He has things that are beyond anything we could ever ask, imagine, or hope for. We're asking for a remodel. He's like, I've got a whole new thing for you. I have a transformation for your life. That's why our biggest thinking, it pales in comparison to God's plans. It's back to the C.S. Lewis thing again where we're playing with mud pies when we don't realize that there's a whole ocean, there's a beach in front of us that we can go to if we will follow the Lord. See, the gospel is about completely transforming us so that we can fulfill God's plan, which is the better plan, which is where we find our true joy, everything that we have in life. See, when Jesus talked about God's plan, he told the disciples that they would do everything that he did, everything that saw modeled, but he said, as you follow, as you surrender, as you deny yourself, you will do even greater things, even more than what Jesus laid out for them, which is mind-blowing. Raising from the dead, healing, walking on water, resisting temptation, loving your enemies. How many struggle with loving your enemies? <laughs> right? Tough. I was in the shower this morning, a little bit of confessional, right? And actually, I had good, good father on the speaker. I listen to music a lot and love it. Had good, good father on. And as I was worshiping the Lord, you know, shampoo my hair, which doesn't take very long. And as I was going through and doing that, know, know what the Lord spoke to me? Somebody that I need to forgive. I'm like, I'm sudsing up here. So what did I do? I prayed. I was going through because this is tough. It was a tough one. But do I want to be transformed? Yes. Do I need to be transformed? Yes. My family, they need a transformed dad. They need a tr- my wife needs a transformed husband. You need a transformed pastor. The community that we're in, they just don't need a Dwayne 2.0. They need a follower of God. Lived out totally for him. See, it's transformation. And the only way to do this is I need to die to myself, right? I need to die to myself. That's why Jesus said in John 12, great illustration, great illustration for now in the spring when we're all planning stuff, where he said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. This life right now is that long. Eternity, I can't even reach it. This is what he's talking about. He's getting us ready for eternity. That's why he said, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This was a teaching of Jesus, stated and restated at nauseum to the disciples, going through, through parables, through illustration, through prophecies, living it out, showing. He even showed that he had power over death. And the disciples still looked at him and he's like, 
so Jesus, you're still saying that I need to die? I need to die? Bless you. I mean, why? In spite of all this stuff, everything he laid out, he was very, very, very clear. There's no bait and switch here. You must die. You want to live? You need to die. He illustrated to him. Why? What was blocking them? What was keeping them back? Well, it's a big word. And it's a word that often blocks a lot of things in our life. It's a word that, that will block us. It will cause us to turn off logic at times. It's a word that will cause us to do things that otherwise we wouldn't do at times. And the word is fear. Fear will make you do things that you wouldn't normally do under, under usual circumstances. Fear will make you act in ways that you later will be ashamed of and embarrassed about. And as it relates to one of our greatest fears, one of our greatest fears is death. We're afraid of death. Now, we have a fear of physical death, but we address it, right? We address that fear. See, fear in itself is not, is not bad, because fear can teach us. We talked about this earlier to where, you know, a good healthy fear can cause you to put some good things in your life, right? Um, whether it's eating right, or whether it's like put on a Put on a seatbelt, whether you fear death or you fear getting the ticket, whatever reason, seatbelts are good. It's the first thing, right? Driver's ed, what's the first thing you do when you get in a car? Put it in drive. No. Turn on the blinker. No. First thing you do is what? Put on your seatbelt. That's the first thing you do. Because protection, you need it. It saves lives. You know, one of the things I love to do, I love to kayak. I've been talking about it a lot, right? I joined this kayaking course, so instead of skiing this year, I... Uh, I spent more time kayaking. In the winter, know where the best place to go kayaking is? In a pool. <laughs> and so I joined this club, got in the pool. And even though I've been kayaking now for quite a long time, they taught me things that really I'd never spent a lot of time. I read about it, but I hadn't practiced it. And it was all these safety courses. They were like, you know, have you ever done a wet exit, which is when, you're, when your sea kayak flips over, you got this neoprene skirt on, and you're in there pretty tight. When you, have you ever, like, flipped over and gotten out? And then I'm like, no, I try not to flip over. I said, but what are you going to do if you do? Are you, do you know how to get out? You know, because you're underwater and you're shaking around. And so they taught me how they flipped me over, and I reached forward, and I pulled up my skirt. Yes, I wore a skirt. And it's a neoprene skirt, and you pull it out, and then you, you get out and you come up. Very important skill, because there are waves out there. And then they taught me how to get back in the kayak, how to empty it out, not in the shallow kiddie pool end, but in the deep end, you know, you're doing all this stuff. They, all these safety things, because why? I want to go out and have fun, but safety is important. So these are good things. These are good protocols, right? And these are good. And they, because they address it instead of ignoring it. Instead of saying, oh, that'll never happen to me. You address them in your life, you apply it, you get things ready. So now I kayak with greater confidence. And now Stephanie says goodbye to me with greater confidence. <laughs> she was like, yes, more classes. But even though we have fear for our life, our greater fear, I believe, is dying to ourselves. Dying to our way, to our plan, and surrendering it to God. But instead of addressing it, we often ignore it. I'll never flip over. I'll never be in that position. 
And see, even our culture, our culture will tell us. I mean, we have organization. There are fines in place. You've got to get a permit, and I'm glad. You've got to, there's safety inspections. It's glad. I'm, I'm really glad there were inspections. I have a lot of confidence in this roof today. There are inspections. There are things that we go through. There are protocols that are good, and we follow through because we address those things. But unfortunately, we're in a culture that continues to get more and more and more to where, as it comes to your body, is protected. But when it comes to your feelings, you're going to find true joy in just giving in to whatever you feel. Right? Deny yourself. No, be who you are. Embrace that feeling. Be true to yourself. Nobody said that to me when I was growing up because a lot of times they're saying, Dwayne, you should not do that. You shouldn't be over there doing that. And I'm so thankful. Have you ever had a feeling that was wrong? I've had a lot of feelings that were wrong. And I'm not trying to minimize anything here. But I'm saying as it walks out in all of these areas, and for a lot of you, probably one of the first things you're coming to is identity, but it's so much bigger than that, so much broader than that. Our, nature, our natural state that we've come in because we're in a fallen world, because it's a sinful world, is for me to, to step over and to just give in to my flesh in so many ways. And Jesus is saying, you need to deny yourself. You need to die to that and to live to God in all of these areas. Because that just doesn't go away when you surrender your life to Christ. It is a daily death. Paul said, I die to myself daily. Why? Because sin crouches at my door daily. Things flash up in front of me daily. Every day, I sit in my chair with my coffee and my dog, and I say, God, take my life. Help me today. And I share with the Lord things that I'm struggling with. Can I keep this, God? Can I hell out of this? <laughs> it's that daily death. Because, yeah, there's that initial hit. How many sugar addicts are right there, right? Oh. <laughs> right. Whatever it is, there's that initial hit that it feels good for a while, but then it's like, <laughs> why did I do that? And we're in a culture that will say, just, just silence that. See, the flesh is out for death. The flesh will kill us. The flesh knows that it's, it's got an end date. It has an expiration death on it. That's why when Jesus, he said, no, you die to yourself because there's a soul that lives forever. There's this part of you that is made to spend eternity with God. There's this part of you that when we deny ourselves and we live for God, there's that greater reward. Just like in, in athletics, when I deny myself and, I, and, I, and I, I do well at it and I do all the things that are disciplines that at the time may seem difficult, there's a reward in that. The soul, so much greater. And our soul was made by God for God to glorify him and, and to find the joy in worshiping him for the greater glory of eternity that there may be some short-term struggles and pains. But that's why James says, I consider it all joy for the greater thing that's going to happen because, because through this, God is he's teaching me how to, how to endure. He's teaching me how to understand things. He's creating perseverance in my life that I need. Wherever you are, th these are things that you need, but we only find them as we trust God and as we lean into them. Because the challenge is, when we struggle with death and when we try not to do that, we will do whatever it takes to stop it. And as we look at Palm Sunday on this great celebration, Hosanna to the King of Kings, there was a group of people that didn't want to die to themselves because Jesus wasn't acting the way that they wanted. And we call them Pharisees. The religious leaders plotted to kill Jesus. 
He's not acting the way. He's not coming alongside our agenda. And in John 12, 10, it says that they even made plans to put Lazarus to death. Can you imagine? Not willing to die themselves, not willing to lay aside their agenda. So even someone that Jesus raised from the dead, this great miracle. You know what? He's talking about Jesus too much. He's spreading this around. It's, we got to kill him. And even Judas, one of Jesus' twelve. Someone that's close to him, someone that Jesus had a lot of patience with, said difficult things to. I think that's one of the challenges with family, right? It's like people that are out there, you pass on the street, they may hurt you or whatever, but when, when someone's family or someone's part of the body of Christ and they hurt you, doesn't that cut a little bit deeper, right? It's like, oh, we know each other. We had coffee together. How is it possible that Judas, one of Jesus' disciples, one that walked with him, ate with him, Judas, he saw the miracles. He was a treasurer, and he even saved money because Jesus multiplied bread and the fish that one day. It's like, hey, we're saving money today. This is great. Still denied Christ and set out to betray him. See, Judas was about his own agenda. He was a zealot. He was a nationalist. Jesus, this is not the way. But you know what? Peter was also a zealot and a nationalist. Peter made it. <laughs> and all of his sword swinging and all the stuff going on, he kept coming back to Jesus. That's why we need to be careful when God doesn't respond the way that we think he should. We need to be careful because that's where we're tempted to step in and to take over, to bring those reins back into our life. You know, just very quickly, as I was thinking about this this past week, uh, Stephanie uh, brought this, this quote to me. And it's, it's by um, David Benner from his book, Desiring God's Will. And, and I think he, he just has this great insight to the state of, of Judas. He says, the willful, stubborn pursuit of his own agenda, speaking about Judas, was likely behind his betrayal of Jesus. His hope appears to have been that Jesus would be a political Messiah and restore Jewish honor by leading an insurrection against the Romans. If so, his betrayal of Jesus to the Roman authorities may well have been a desperate attempt to force Jesus to abandon his passivity. When confronted with imminent arrest, he may have hoped Jesus would finally shake off his lethargy and put his obvious talents into the service of political liberation. Or Judas may simply have been acting out of resentment that came from realizing that his plans for Jesus had been frustrated. See, there are many as, as they've looked at the condition of Judas, because a lot of times, you know, growing up, I was often taught that with, with Judas, man, he was just out to get Jesus. He was out to get Jesus. He was out to get Jesus going through. But boy, there's, there's a lot of evidence as we study through and we see this, that, 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 that Judas, that he, he was with Jesus, he was, he, was the, he was the treasure, he was walking along, he saw all this kinds of stuff, that when he saw Jesus not doing it, that there were some that would say, you know what, Judas may have been walking in this, that when Jesus saw the authorities coming up, that there may have been this hope inside of him that said, now Jesus will respond. Now Jesus will do it. He'll see this, he's not going to be willing to go all this way. Surely he'll come around to what the king is supposed to do.
And I think sometimes we do that. Maybe if Jesus sees this or maybe if I do that, then Jesus will respond the way I want. See, this is our problem. We want him to provide for our plan, our way, our ideas. But this is not the answer. We focus on everything out there that needs to be changed. And the first thing that Jesus does, the first thing that God does is the thing he did back with Adam, the first human. He went to Adam and said, Adam, where are you? We want him to take care of all the stuff. He's like, no, you're working from the outside in. Let's start with the inside. Where are you? Because until I'm transformed, until we are transformed, we'll never walk out in the power and the authority and the joy and everything that Jesus died for that requires a complete transformation, which means I need to die to myself. And Jesus knows this. We know this. But it's laying everything aside. So knowing all this, we go from dark Wednesday to Thursday. Now Jesus, he's sitting around. This is the Passover. He's with the Last Supper. And he sits with his disciples. And he gives them one more lesson. One more lesson. You know what he does? He washes their feet. Now see, washing your feet today is no big deal. You probably washed them already. And if you're like me, then you put socks on, you put shoes on. So if I were to come down and take off your shoes, I'd ask your permission first. Right? Your, your, your feet are pretty clean, maybe a little sweaty, no big deal. I gave Stanley a bath last week. But see, in that day, it was a sandal. There were animals around. The feet were in everything. They walked through everything. This was the lowliest of lowliest of tasks. And they're in a room where they're getting ready to eat. And protocols and eating and all those things were in place. Jesus, King Jesus, Hosanna to the King. Jesus is going, how can I teach these guys? And so he takes off his outer garment. He takes a towel and he wraps it around his waist. This is the role of a servant. And that day, hierarchy was very important. And he went from this king, wrapped it, got a basin, and he begins to wash the feet. It says after that, he poured the water in the basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet. When you do that, you're down here. And the person's up there. I got to do this to a homeless person in Portland one time. I went down to be a part of Bridge Ministries with our youth ministry pre-COVID. And when they were asking for it, I'm like, I want to experience that. Not because I was trying to prove anything, but I'm like, I want to experience what that means. And so we went out under the bridges of Portland, and this homeless man came up, and I said, could I wash your, wash your feet? And you begin to wash it. Here's what happened. Before I was standing above him, now I'm down in this servant and I'm looking up. And I'm washing his feet. And then you have to dry the feet because if they don't get dry enough, in between the toes, all this stuff, 
calluses can form. There can be, and foot health is very important. And if you've been homeless on the street, if you've been in that place, you know how important your feet is because you're walking everywhere. It's a big deal. And then I put talcum powder on. And then I said, can I give you a new pair of socks? As I'm doing this, this guy, he's pouring out his heart. I didn't ask many questions. All I said was, thank you for letting me do this. His heart was pouring out. He's pouring in. You know, I cry easily. Man, you can only imagine what I was like. This is what he was trying to teach his disciples. You gotta humble yourself. You wanna be the greatest, you be the least. You wanna walk in the fullness of the power. You wanna do greater things than I did, then you humble yourself. You serve, you get down, you wash the feet of people, you love people, you let them know. You help them to experience the love of God. It's that Ephesians 3. You can't, you can't understand the love of God so fully. You can experience it. That's why in this passage here, Peter came forward. You know, Peter, national zealot. There were a lot of things that Peter agreed with Judas on. But Peter was more teachable. He said, Jesus, oh, then wash my head, wash everything over me. And he's like, I'm not here to give you a bath today, Peter. (laughs) Those things are clean. I'm here to cleanse and to purify and to teach you by example. See, he was teaching them humility. Humility is not thinking less of ourselves. It's thinking about ourselves less. Your will, your way, giving it all to the Lord. And then from there, he gives them this ordinance of communion. My body broken for you, my blood. Remember, remember. Remember, it's about the through death you have life. Only as a seed goes in the ground will it burst forth. Do you know what happens with seeds if you just kind of throw them on top of the ground? Vermin comes by and takes them. In my yard. It's got to be pressed down. Because that seed has to die and then later it bursts up. That's why Jesus said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, follow me. And guys, look, don't hang on to your life, you're gonna lose it. If you give it up for me, just wait, just wait. You'll love those who hate you, you'll forgive those who persecute you. Because after Thursday comes Good Friday, where he's misunderstood, where he's falsely accused, where he's rejected, even denied by Peter, who said, I'll never leave you. But he came back. You'll forgive your enemies. See, I know that Easter is coming. Next week, we're gonna celebrate. But this week, as we walk through, as we get ready for the resurrection of Jesus Christ in our life, my prayers to us, wherever you are with Jesus today, is that you would take this and say, Lord, yes, I wanna be that person. Where do I need to die? Where do I need to deny? Where do I need to give up? Where do I need to take that humble servant path and just wash the feet? He's washing the feet of people who don't understand him, people who will deny him, people who will even betray him to death, and Jesus is washing their feet, knowing all this.
God, help me to do that. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand together today. Father, we thank you. You've made it clear. You've laid it out. And Lord, still we want our way. We want our agenda. We want, we want us. And you're saying, give up your life. God, I want to be transformed. I want that life to the full. I want to be able to walk forgiving my enemies. Asking for forgiveness when I need it. Help me to walk in that way so that I can have that life to the full. God, I want to get to Easter. So Lord, help me to walk through this week dying to myself. Holy Spirit, do your work in me, I pray. Amen. We're going to take some time to respond because faith without works is dead. (laughs) This needs to burst from us today. So as we wrap up this series today, Ask yourself, you know, how should my life look differently? How should my cross-shaped life look differently? What is it as it relates to the Lord that, boy, you're, you're just desiring for? Steps are death, humility, all, all these things. What do I need to die to myself so that I might live for Christ? Let's take some time to respond. Maybe you want to go, we have these walls over here, prayer and praise. Maybe you just want to write it out. You don't need to sign it. You can. You don't need to sign it. But sometimes just writing it out, just like those, that act of doing something. Maybe it's our communion stations. You come up and you take that. And you take a moment with the bread and the communion. Maybe there's someone here today that you need to have communion with. <laughs> and you say, would you forgive me? As Christ has forgiven me, I'm asking that you would forgive me. Or maybe someone's asked for forgiveness and you've not given it. And you're like, today, yeah. Or asking the Holy Spirit speak to me today. And then what steps do I need to take? Step it out. Get out of the boat. If you go halfway out of the boat, you're going to get hurt. <laughs> you're going to fall in or you're going to fall back. Peter just stepped out. Peter. <laughs> okay. Peter could have been Judas. But when Jesus corrected him, he was like, oh, wash my head. Wash everything. That's where we need to be for that cross-shaped life. Amen. Lord, give us the courage today. Give us the vision to see as you see as we respond in your name. Yes, that's our prayer. Give me Jesus, Jesus alone. It's on Christ, the solid rock we stand. We know everything else is sinking around us. We stand on you, oh God. Nothing else. Help us, Lord, to embrace this denying ourselves. Lord, echo all the voices but yours. We need to hear your voice, that clarion call to have that life to the full that's found only in denying ourselves and following you. We trust you. We walk in you. And God, help us as a community to encourage each other in these ways. Show us and teach us that, we pray. And everyone sit together. Amen. Amen. I'm telling you, you know, death is tough, but there's nothing like the life that happens after it. <laughs> there's nothing, nothing Nothing like the life that happens after it. Again, thank you for being with us today. So this is is our benediction. Let's say this. As we leave here today in the power of God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. Now, come on. Let's go and live for Jesus. I love you all. God bless.